and uh, we look forward to what God's going to do in week number two of a six-week series called Soul Healing. Uh, I just know that the most important thing is Isaiah 55:11 that the Word of God will not return void, and I know that's true, that everything else we do here will return void except for the Word of God. So those of you that are note-takers or those of you that want to track with a message, I just decided to like put, I don't know, blessing or reward on that desire. So if you are able to track with me and write down every scripture that I referenced during the message today, there is a free devotional for you back at the book table. Just take your list of scriptures and Allie Hooper, who is in this congregation as well, and myself wrote a devotional. And for those of you that track with the word of God and write down all of those scriptures, go to the book table, you get a devotional. Sound good? Yes, yeah, it's exciting. So last week was an incredible first week together where we were led in a beautiful picture of restoration by Tom and Reba. Do you remember that? Tom and Reba, where are you? Thank you. So beautiful. So amazing. Uh, at the beginning of the six-week series around Psalm 23, verse 3, he restores my soul. We were urged last week that true life will only be found if we live as the souls that we are, doing things to care for the soul that is us, one of the most important of which is to stop listening to society's perspective of where true life is found and, it's, and instead to submit to God's perspective that peace is only possible in Christ, that no identity except the one founded on the lavish love, kindness, and forbearance of God will ever bring peace to our days that our identity has got to be founded squarely upon the one who made you and the one who loves you in ways that we can't even comprehend. We discussed that how one of the essentials of this is exchanging your view of yourself to his view. I hope some of you in that regard have read as we talked about Psalm 139 multiple times this week and hopefully have seen it change you a bit or maybe some of you needed to do the good morning masterpiece bit in the mirror. Have you done that one? <laughs> and others of you perhaps just needed to stop agreeing with the incessant strain of not enough coming at you in every form from society and culture, not skinny enough, fat enough, rich enough, excuse, excuse, I didn't mean to say that, skinny enough, uh, attractive enough, rich enough, all the things that's coming at you. The point was that we'll never experience soul healing, right, if we do not submit our perspective of things to God's perspective of things and to surrender to his ways. So I thought just who was here last week, we want to hear one another's voices a bit. What is a takeaway? What is a takeaway that you came away with from last week? A new truth, a new perspective somehow. Shout it out. God loves us with delight. Yeah crazy about you. He's got a song he's singing over you. They referenced it during worship, uh, the verse Zephaniah 317. What else? You're a soul with a body, not a body with a soul. Don't go to others to fill me up. Oh, that's beautiful. Don't argue with the potter about his creation, yes, and on and on and on. Thank you, that's great. So, so we're gonna today look at more of these kinds of truths which we can and must stake our identity on and our hope on in order for soul healing to become a reality in our lives where God brings us more fully to our intended selves and restores our deepest heart spaces. These truths today are truths about God that Jesus revealed. And we've got to focus on these because here it is, the attributes and character of God are actually a resting place for our souls. Do I need to say that again? 
the attributes and character of God are actually a resting place for our souls. So we're going to cover some of these today. Last week, we looked at surrendering to God's perspectives. And today, we're going to deepen this foundation by focusing on surrendering to his promises. We good? So last week, we looked at 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And the last part of that verse says, and that is what we are. So, Bobby, before you're a lawyer, you're a child of God. Justin, before you're a dad, uh, you're a child of God. Emily, before you're a boss, which you're a boss, you're a child of God. (laughs) Amy, before you're a mom, you're a child of God. You're first and foremost identity before any other identity from now till you see him face to face is that you're a child of God. And here's the first truth that we're going to bank on today. As God's child, he has grace for you and will never give up on you and never leave you. That's the first big truth that we've got to live out of if we're going to experience uh, the true abundant life that he's given us. Ephesians 2.8 and Romans 5.17 describe grace as God's gift that rescues us. We see Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Romans 5.17, if you listen closely, it says, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned throughout one man, how much more... Well, those who receive, here it is, God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So what is grace? That's a word we throw around like a whole lot and we sing about it. What is grace? Well, sometimes I find that a visual description helps us easier. So Ashley, I asked her ahead of time if she would come up here. She doesn't know what she's signing on for, but that's okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So we're talking about grace, and I find that to distinguish grace from mercy. So when you, thank you, love. Come here. Give it up for Ashley. (laughs) That's awesome. So when you think about mercy, what what comes to your mind when you think about mercy versus grace? Well, here's a picture of it. So, Ash, what I want you to do is I want you to smack me on the face. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so... Okay, so that's a picture of mercy. What is it? That she did not get what she deserved. She smacked me in the face, withheld what she deserved. That's mercy. What is grace? What is grace? Okay, so I know you can do a little better than the last one. So go ahead and, I know, go ahead and smack me in the face. <laughs> okay, so this is grace. Not only that, but, oh, I love you so much. You're just so amazing. Beautiful. And here, here's my card, and here's the keys to my car, and here's my wallet. Are you with me? And here's, like, my vacation home. It's an abundance. Thank you so much. Give it up for Ashley. Thank you so much. It's an abundance in the face of wrong. So I'll give you the definitions. Mercy is withholding punishment justly deserved. Grace is generous, free, and totally unexpected and undeserved. Listen to this quote. Grace is the participation in the life of God, which is poured unearned into human beings, whom it heals of sin and sanctifies. Now, some of you might be thinking, I don't... Uh, Why do I need mercy? Why do I need grace? If you just need a reminder of that, because maybe you're like, I mean, I haven't done the Big Ten lately, so I don't really know why I need all of that. Think about the ways in which even this 
last half hour, your mind has drifted back to self. Does self like the temperature in this room? Does self like what Tammy's talking about? Does self like Tammy's tempo? Does self like the cologne of the person next to self? What's self gonna have for lunch? What's self do last night? Does self didn't like the way that self was greeted in the lobby by that other person? You and I are self-indulgent, consumed, and concerned to the core. That is what it is to have a sin nature. That no matter what, the marble just rolls back to self. And that is what we need saved from. That is why we need mercy and thank God we don't get what our selfish desire deserves. And instead we get what G-R-A-C-E, some people know grace by this, God's riches at Christ's expense. Yeah. Are you getting a sense of the amazingness of grace? Are you? And this picture of God that gives us grace to us is not that it's meted out or given begrudgingly, but in Romans 5.17, it said what? It was abundant provision, <laughs> poured out grace. God loves to give you grace. Isaiah 30.18, look at it with me. It says, therefore the Lord, what is the word? The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. Longs, what's longing? It's, it's like what? I can't, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't, I can't wait. You've got, I mean, you, some of you have a vacation on the calendar. You're like, I can't wait. I can't wait for that date on the calendar. I can't wait for that event to come. I can't wait for that vacation. I can't wait for that job change. I can't wait for that race. I can't wait. Like the kid, you know, waiting for Christmas morning can't sleep. This is God's picture. I can't wait, according to Isaiah 13, to do what? Give you a big old spanking. I can't wait to be gracious to you, to give you so, so much of me and all of me. I can't wait. You know what grace looks like, right? And he rises to show you compassion. You know what compassion looks like, which is, I know, oh, that's hard, yes, ah, sorry, but, oh man, yes. Is this the picture you have of God? Like, can you imagine when you are in the middle, and I do mean square in the middle, of a verbal vicious rant towards your spouse where you know you're hurting him or her. Can you imagine God longing to be gracious to you? It reminds me though of the picture of the prodigal son. If you've never read that parable, please look at it. But basically a son, bad son, took all his dad's possessions, went and dragged his name through the mud and, you know, squandered all his possessions. And it says of the father, it says of the father, this, this idea that he's like scanning the horizon. He's scanning the horizon, looking, straining is the sense we get. Straining for what? To see his son so that he can run to him and absolutely take him out. <laughs> In the prodigal son parable, do you know what happens? When he sees his son, what does it say? Do you know? You got it. He ran to him. And then what did he do? It's a picture of grace. He put a robe on him and he threw a party for him. This son just broke his father's heart. This is the picture God's giving us about, I can't wait. I can't wait. And so I picture it like, come on, that, 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 that dad, like Tammy, come on, Tammy, Tam, 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 come to me. Come on, come on, come on. Come on. Just waiting for us to come to him. So yeah, when you've clicked on that website, again, do you have a sense of God? Come on, come on, I got you, come on, 
I can't wait. I can't wait to, for you to walk free from that. Come on, I got you. Or when you are literally, like I said, in the middle of that vicious rant or some like awful judgment in your mind, can you sense God going, I can't wait, I can't wait. Or perhaps, I don't know, you're eating a, thieve of, a sleeve of Thin Mints at two o'clock in the morning so no one will see you, right? Can you sense in the middle of that, God, come on, come on, I got grace for you and I have compassion. I know, I know you're struggling, come on. This grace is amazing, truly. And because of the Lord's great love, look at Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. Here it is again. For his compassions, what? Is that the picture you have of God? That when you go to speak to God, yes, even after a time of avoiding God, that he's got compassion for you? They're new every morning. Oh, I bank on this. Great is your faithfulness. And in this compassionate grace, he's got a plan to keep transforming it, us. Look at Philippians 1.6. Paul says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus' return. Isn't that good news? That he's never gonna stop working in us. That's what it means to make us more like Jesus. So I'm so thankful for what that means in my life. That no matter what version of myself I was yesterday, there's always hope because he promises he's gonna continue to work in you and me if we've said yes to Christ for salvation. So that is why, by the way, I'm so thankful that I don't need to be held to a standard. Oh, please don't hold me to a standard of who I was five or 10 years ago. Woo. And so maybe you need to let another believer off the hook in terms of how you're holding him or her to a standard of who the ace used to be and trust Christ and this promise for them. So we see in this compassionate, transforming grace, we have the promise of never being left alone. Hebrews 13, five says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Can you start to see how these heal your soul if you live in them, these realities? So now that we've seen that grace is ours in Christ through his sanctifying work and continual presence, let us look clearly at how and where this grace originates. It's this one, and so this is truth number two that we've got to base our lives on uh, for the day. In his immense love, he has given us complete forgiveness. Psalm 103 verse three says it. It says, he forgave us all our sins. Uh, another version of this, if you look at Colossians 2, 13 on the screen, it says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us, here it is again. You see it? All our transgressions. Now, if you've ever heard me talk before, you know I, I, I tripped over this quite a bit, this idea of all. Because certainly I get the, thank you, Jesus, past sins have been forgiven. But how about present sins? Yeah? But what about under the rubric of all, wouldn't that include, yeah, future sins? That was a little rough for me to try to like reconcile until God was like, look at the first word in Colossians 2, when you were dead in your transgressions. And then we look at Romans 5, 6, here it is. For here's a word, while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that, what is it? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can you pick up the nuance here that changed my life? 
that past, present, and future is a time frame that we live in. God is outside of time. He's not wondering what you're going to eat for lunch or what you're going to do with the rest of your life, right? God is outside of time. So August 13, 2023, when you and I sit here for an end, literally, are self-consumed in some way where we've judged even another person this past few moments, we thought some vile thought, even some consumptive way in which we want to view another person or whatever. You understand what God is seeing simultaneous to you and I on August 13th, 2023. If he's outside of time, he watches his son bleed to death so that you and I could sit here free from the sins we commit even this moment. He's outside of time. You see it? When you were dead in your sins, August 13th, 2023, he made you alive together with him while we were yet sinning. August 13th, 2023, he made you alive together with him. Isn't that incredible? Can you imagine? So few of us regularly ask for forgiveness these days, by the way, let alone picture what God is seeing so that we can be forgiven. It's amazing. It's actually unfathomable. But it's transformative if we'll let it be. And that if we'll let it be is important because I know what I'm talking about. I've been a counselor for over 30 years. Some of you have done things that appeared in your dreams even last night. You cannot live free from the shame or the regret. And so you say, I just can't forgive myself. Unwittingly, we are doing something that I don't think we know when we say that. So put yourself in the picture. You're at the foot of the cross. Jesus is doing, paying for everything. And you're saying, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. That's awesome. Jesus, I, it's amazing what you're doing for me. That's amazing. But it's not quite good enough for me. That's what we're essentially doing when we say, I just can't forgive myself. Dear one, you don't have a higher standard than Almighty God. So maybe that's a reason you are listening to this today. That August 13th, 2023 is the day that you understood the cross was 100% effective. Amen. What a God. Listen, here's a few words from Vista's own amazing Ann Smith and this aspect of God's character, how it transformed her. Through my life, I made some choices. I really was trying to be perfect. I was really trying to just behave perfectly. I really started to feel a lot of shame and guilt from those choices. I felt like some of the things that I did were unforgivable. Soul healing came along as a great tool. It's really just Tammy speaking, God's truth. And then chapter eight came along, which she calls mental healthing, but it's a really the forgiveness part of that. Because I had done things that I didn't think God was going to forgive, but I found out guess what? They're hanging on that cross. But then there was another step about forgiving myself. Once I realized that, my heart changed, and now I am just all for God. I'm all in, I say. Yeah. Did you hear the 
It's so great. She's right here. Did you hear that? She said, once I realized that even the sin I can't forgive is hanging there on the cross, my heart changed, and now I'm all in for God now. And that's right. She loves and serves and blesses and gives in so many beautiful ways. So our souls are healed as we base our lives on the forgiveness of Christ and live in his grace. So living in his grace also means, our third truth for the day, that in his utter faithfulness, God has set before us ways to live that he knows will bless us. He gives us exactly what we need for every day and he promises complete provision. Do you believe the promises of God will bring blessing? Or do you unconsciously see his exhortation to the disciplines in our lives as some sort of buzzkill or that God's some sort of stern taskmaster with just a list of do's and don'ts? No way. James 1.25, can you listen? It's kind of a little bit complex. It says, whoever looks into, excuse me, whoever looks intently into, here's a phrase, the perfect law that gives freedom. What? Okay. Anyhow, whoever looks into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, they'll be blessed in all they do. It says it straight up. Hebrews 11:6. you can see it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And here it is, you see it. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. His ways are a blessing. He's calling us to be blessed when he's calling us to follow his commandments, right? Part of this incredible blessing and a way that we must live every day if we're to live as souls healed, it's this, that we get exactly what we need for every day. So in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus was teaching them to pray, do you remember what he said, give us this day our? Yeah, that's embedded in the Lord's Prayer for this is how you should pray. That to me is a, is a, a picture, a nuance to manna. In the Old Testament, let me tell you about that. Exodus 16, 4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. So what was manna? It was like bread from heaven. So what were they supposed to do? How did, how did they get their food? That's how they got their food. God brought it down anew every morning. And then they were supposed to do what? Take their Tupperware containers and their little fridges and stick it all in? No, it said in the word, no. You can't hoard it. What would happen to it if they tried to hoard it? It would spoil. It would rot. Are you with me? Couldn't do that. It couldn't be hoarded. They would just have to trust at the end of the day that manna would come again on the next day. They would just have to believe God for tomorrow. Saving was not an option, and it's not an option for us either. Yes, we can buy a week's worth of groceries at a time, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Soul bread, heavenly bread, spiritual bread is given on a daily basis. We cannot pray or worship enough for the whole week on Sunday. We can't tie the first portion of our paychecks and think our sacrifice is done for the month. The daily bread principle is unalterable. You can't store up the things you need from God. You have to keep coming back for them, to keep trusting him day by day by day. Why? Why, why is God telling us this? Because how desperate are you and how much do you pray when things are good and you have enough money and there's no conflict in your life and everything's going smoothly on building projects and everything's going smoothly with all the people in your life? How much do you pray? <laughs> We're not very good at staying close to God when our storehouses are full, are we? And he knows our best life is in relationship with him. And so literally, that is why he says, I will give you, if you wake up that day, I will give you what you need to get through that day. 
but you won't have what you need for tomorrow until you wake up in that day. Are you with me? And here's the reality. I don't know about you, but I am being so honest when I say, I want tomorrow bread. I want to know that when the betrayal comes or the tragedy comes or the diagnosis comes, right, that I will be able to get through that and have what I need. And he says, no, that's just how worry steals the joy of today because until you wake up in that day, you will not have what you need. But when and if you wake up in that day, yes, even that day, he says, I will give you what you need. It's amazing, isn't it? So here's what we're doing, right? We're looking at these promises of God in order to see how actually inculcating them into our daily lives makes a huge difference in how we think, how we feel, and ultimately what we choose to do. So the ultimate provision of God, though, is what? What did Jesus promise to leave of himself? The Holy Spirit, yeah. Acts 15.8 says God has given the Holy Spirit to us. So here's your fourth truth for the day that's just life-changing to us. God has given us Christ's real power and presence. We saw uh, Hebrews 13.5, it's Deuteronomy 31.8, same thing, that God has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Ephesians 2.22 says, we're a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Acts 17.8 says, in him we live and move and have our being. You hear it? My presence is in you. Chris T. Green says, or the presence of God in us, the same feet that walk the dusty roads of Galilee are walking with you this day in the 21st century. The same spirit who hovered over the deep at the foundation of the world is hovering over you and welling up in you. The Father's looking into every corner of your heart this moment and is pleased. Jesus is sitting next to you with love in his heart and a welcoming smile on his face. God decided to call his son Emmanuel for a reason. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. It's because he desires to be with you, not against you, not observing you from a distance, not just with people in general or theoretically omnipresent, not just in the big picture of life, but right now in the details, he's with you in every way. Be relentless in asking God to help you be aware of his presence every moment of every day. Try to think about his nearness as often as you can. Whenever you feel alone, know that he's in the room with you and that he loves you deeply. Listen, there's passages in Isaiah that mean so much to me about God being with you when you go through the rivers. They're not going to sweep over you when you go through the fire. That's Isaiah 43, 12. Isaiah 41, 10 says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. If we understand his provision and we believe his presence, dear ones, we're going to operate in the huge power we actually have, power. Is that a hard word for you to understand? Let's look at what we're talking about here, where that comes from. So look at Galatians 4, 7 with me, if you would. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has made you a what? Mm -hmm. An heir. What's an heir? Many of you have had this experience in your life where a loved one has passed on, and what was theirs became yours. Literally, Romans 5, is it 18? Yeah, where is it? I've lost my mind. Oh, Romans 8, 17. It says, we're co-heirs with Christ. We're co-heirs with Christ. So there's power inherent in being an heir. And we are co-heirs. We get the same stuff as Jesus. 
So my dad died a few years ago, and there's an account that came to me upon his death. And that account now has whose name on it? It's mine, right? My name's on that account. And yet when Mike and I often refer to that account, we'll be like, dad's account, dad's account. And there was a car that sat on my driveway for the better part of the last four years that was dad's car, right? And it's literally, it was like his car sat there and whenever we refer to his car as I am right now, we would call it his car, but whose name is on the title? Whose name's on the title? It's my car. It's my car. Except for we call it dad's car. And I think that if dad were here, he'd be like, I did this so that you can, can you please just, the account is yours. Drive the car, you understand? That's what's happened to us. When Jesus left, that's the Holy Spirit. He's like, what's mine is yours. That's why God calls us, calls us co-heirs with Christ. For goodness sake, we have so much power. Listen, can you listen? In Ephesians 1, 18 through 20, Paul links these two. Inheritance and power. He says, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. You, child of God, heir, co-heir with Christ. You have so much power. Jesus said in Matthew 17, say to this mountain in faith, move from here to there and a mountain will move. He said this wild thing in Luke 10, 19. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing's gonna harm you. What? What? And then he said literally in John 14, 27, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. Do you remember what he did? Raising people from the dead, healing people, right? Forgiving, what? And they will do even greater works than these. What is that? What is this picture? Very few of us believe we have power. I mean, literally, like, we're like, when somebody says, will you pray for me? We're like, I mean, yeah. What? If we understood, no, you are a powerful vessel of God himself by his Holy Spirit. When somebody says, pray for me, yes, I'll pray for you. Believe my prayers are gonna do something. You're gonna take a meal to your neighbor who's awkward and it's gonna be awkward, so what? The power of God is in you doing things that we cannot see, right? If somebody says, could you talk to that stranger? You can be like, I don't talk to strangers, hello. You can do it because of the power of God in you. You understand? It's a spiritual transaction, you're a soul. Souls are doing all sorts of things. God is doing all sorts of things through your soul. So I don't know how all that works, honestly. But I know we have more power than most of us are living out of. The bottom line here is this, that all of Jesus is enough, more than enough for what we need. We have all power, all authority, all peace, all perspective, all comfort, all healing, all deliverance, all wisdom, all help. When you think about your inheritance, if we really understood it, would we ever pray casually again? <laughs> would we ever doubt? Would we ever worry about our future or stress about our present? No. All such struggles come from a lack of understanding on this point. That God who is unfathomable, incomprehensible, and boundless in everything he does or can do is the God who has chosen to dwell within you. It's astounding. And all of this that we've talked about, these four truths, this reality about Jesus being enough, is that it practically means for us we have complete security and we can walk in freedom. 
If I literally were completely and utterly secure in every way, if I asked for a raise of hands about how many of us in this room struggled with insecurity in the past week, how many hands do you think would go up? But if we steep ourselves in the word of God and throw ourselves in faith on these things, do you understand what faith is? Here's a picture of faith. I watched many of you come in this room and sit down, and you just, I wish I had a chair, you just like threw yourself right down in the chair. You didn't pick up the chair and see about the structural integrity of the chair. You didn't push on it a little bit to see if it could hold you. You threw your whole weight on it. That's faith. That's a picture of faith. We have tremendous faith in the I-beams of this building right now. We all put ourselves under it. I have amazing faith in this Spanx I'm wearing right now. So my whole self is in there. <laughs> That's what faith is. That's what faith is. It's to put your whole self. Have you put your whole self in the truths of God that we've talked about? Are you still debating them? Are you even debating that forgiveness is yours, that you have power, that you're in an intentional creation of God meant to do great things for the kingdom of God. Are you debating those things? Uh, Alicia, can you throw me up? So real quick, what is the, uh, what is the color of this pillow? Mm -hmm. Red? Anyone? Anyone going to say green? Any green takers? Brown? Brown takers? Anyone else? Red? We're all going to? Could you imagine if one of you was like, no, it's green? We'd all be like, you're dumb. <laughs> right? The reality is, it's red. That is something that is actually more debatable. The redness of this pillow is more debatable than the truths of God that are eternal and recorded for all time. And yet we are more willing to debate the eternal truths of God than we are the redness of this pillow. This is how our souls are healed and how we walk in victory and freedom is when we are Trusting God, pulling our whole selves in the truths of God. They're not up for debate. Matthew 7, 24 says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So soul healing, shalom, as lived experience is only gonna happen when we build our lives on Jesus, the author of our souls, these revealed attributes of God when we actually stop shopping horizontally for what's been given vertically. But if we don't, there will be evidence. That's the principle of roots and fruits that Jesus talked about in John 15, five. So what I'm gonna list are some like, brood, brood, like flashing lights to indicate, oh, when you're not living on the foundation of the truths of God that we just talked about. Sound good? Let's bust through them quickly. And you just sort of take a mental note about that. That's the one or two that I struggle with. Number one, constantly comparing yourself with others. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, when they measure themselves with themselves and compare themselves with themselves, here it is, they are not wise. <laughs> Can you say that in modern day vernacular? We are so stupid when we compare. Comparison kills and we all know it. So if you're constantly comparing, you're not living founded on the truths of God about your unique identity that we talked about last week and who he is. Number two, looking to others for approval. If you find yourself just constantly like obsessing even about what other people think or a certain one thinks, we're in trouble because John, uh, uh, sorry, Proverbs 29, 25 says fear of man will prove to be a snare. I wish I could tattoo Galatians 1.10 somewhere where I'd see it all the time because it says, um, 
Am I now trying to win the approval of man or of God? If I were trying to win the approval of man, I would no longer be a servant of Christ. So if you're looking to uh, uh, others for approval, that's a slippery slope. Number three, basing your faith on your feelings. John 8, 32 says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Not you're going to feel the truth. This week I came across a quote from John Piper. He said, my feelings are not God. God is God. My feelings do not define truth. God's word defines truth. My feelings are echoes and responses to what my mind perceives. And sometimes, many times, my feelings are out of sync with truth. When that happens, and that happens every day in some measure, I try not to bend the truth to justify my imperfect feelings, but rather I plead with God, purify my perceptions of your truth and transform my feelings so that they're in sync with the truth. Number four is, here's a flashing light that shows us, okay, we're not living on the truths of God. Struggling with discontentment and doubt. We talked about how and why that happens last week. Isaiah 30, 15 is instructive. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. Here it is. In repentance and rest is your salvation, but you would have none of it. Number five, giving way to worry. Worry is a bait that every one of us is baited with every day. Amen? Come on, right? But it's, it's giving way to that. It's indulging that. It's entertaining that. That's the sin. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 34, don't worry about tomorrow as we talked about. You don't have that manna. Don't worry about tomorrow. Each day is enough trouble of its own, right? Listen, anxiety at its core is a questioning of God's character. It's an emotional slander of God, really. Number six, being self-focused and self-indulgent, giving in to temptation, having little self-restraint. That is not the Luke 9, 24 life that Jesus said. He said, whoever wants to save his life, right, trying to save your life, is going to lose it. Whoever loses his life on account of me will find it. And number seven applies to us all as well. Some of you don't know this, though. Being crippled underneath the weight of shame. Ever since the garden, we have all been baited with shame that your brokenness, that your particular weakness, that your particular sin, ugh, is you just need to hide that. You just need to hide that, that no one would want you, that people wouldn't like you, certainly people wouldn't respect you if they knew it. That's shame, and that shows you I'm listening more to other voices rather than the voice of my God. So when you build your life on the rock, as Matthew 7, 24 says, these are the flashing lights to tell you you've fallen off the platform. So let's look at these seven really quick, and which of these do you most grapple with? which one do you find that it pulls you off your strong foundations? Let's just do a raise of hands about which one you tend to more struggle with. So those of us that find we struggle more with comparison, that's our flashing light. Raise your hands. Awesome. How about looking to others for approval? So good. How about number three, basing your faith on your feelings? Excellent. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, number four, discontentment and doubt. How many of you give way to that? That's what you find. Thank you so much. Number five, worry. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus help us. Number <laughs> six. Uh, Self-indulgent, self-focused. Uh, yeah, that's so true of all of us. Thank you, God, for your deliverance. Number seven, shame. How many of you find shame? Oh, this is so good. So good. So I'm going to bring it all together. We've been set free from sin by the Son of God who said, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Ow! You know what free indeed means? You are in fact free. If you said yes to Christ, 
Because of Jesus, we can say along with Paul, through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And we've become partakers in his inheritance that he's conferred on his children. So why then do so many of us live like we're still in bondage? We've been set free, but we often put ourselves back in prison. The only way to stay in this incredible freedom is by the power of the spirit cultivated by being in the word of God and tapping into God's power through prayer. Being free in Christ means that we are free from our past and free to be the person God created us to be. Okay, I want you, let's, by way of closing, to think with me about Galatians 5. It's a chapter in the Bible summarizing how people can't earn their way into a relationship with God, but instead need to rely on God's Holy Spirit while our primary agenda needs to be to love one another. Verse 1 of that chapter, can I say it a couple times for you? It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. That's such good news. And it says also, do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't give way to worry. Don't keep comparing. Come on, don't walk back into that prison. That's what happens as we walk back into the prison. So as we stand in belief of what Jesus has done and these truths God has given us to base our lives on, can we lock in today on what you need to come free from? Is it ungodly, destructive emotions like anger, resentment, bitterness, shame, rejection, abandonment, confusion, or do you need more come free from thoughts like hopelessness, powerlessness, depression, anxiety, phobias, blaming, unforgiveness of self, pride? Or maybe is yours more behavior? Do you need to become free from secret sins and addictions? from judging others, from laziness, from cowardice, trying to win approval, perfectionism even, isolating? Or is yours fear? Fear of dying, fear of people, fear of living, fear of the dark. So let's look at this phrase together. If I were free from blank, I would blank. You mind putting it up there on the screen? If I were free from blank, I would blank. Can you take out your phone or on your notes or yes, even in your spirit? But sometimes it's really good to engage your body with it. What's yours? If I were free from blank, I would blank. Here's some examples. If I were free from pride, I would apologize more. If I were free from bitterness, I would be more kind to my spouse. If I were free from wanting affirmation with people, I'd be more honest. If I were free from overeating, I'd be more social. If I were free from guilt, I would be more peaceful. If I were free from unforgiveness, I'd spend more time with that parent. If I were free from fear of rejection, I would reach out more to my friends for encouragement. If I were free from shame, I would enjoy my sexuality more. If I were free from cowardice, I would invite that neighbor to do a Bible study with me. So do you have yours? And so for those of you who have been, that would be cute, paying attention. <laughs> or those of you that might be a little theologically astute. Or those of you that might be like, um, <clears throat> hey Tammy, 
Didn't you just read a bunch of scriptures to us about how we are free? That the picture God gives us is that in Christ we are free. We have to fight and do life from the place of freedom, not fighting for it. So in honesty, let's all take out that piece of paper or on your phone and change this statement that you just engaged God with to what it actually is. Here it is. Since I am free from blank, I will blank. Since I am free from pride, I will apologize more. Since I am free from bitterness, I'll be more kind to my spouse. Since I'm free from wanting affirmation from people, I'll be more honest and on and on. This is the power you have. This is what he's done. You can live in that freedom and you can act in that freedom. Yes, you can. It's yours and it's mine. We are the ones who walk back into the places of bondage. So, awesomeness. Last week we looked at truths that we have to live in about ourselves and perspectives of self that we need to surrender to God. This week, we're looking at truths about God we have to live in. So here's your ultimate takeaway for today to make sure that tracking from last week and this week, Jesus is blank and I am blank. Can we have that up on the screen? God is blank and I am blank. Fill that in. That's where we're ending today, making sure that you're grabbing hold and pulling in the truths because knowledge that sits out there is a dangerous thing. It's meant to transform our lives this week, today, this afternoon. So what's yours? Jesus is full of grace, I'm forgiven. Jesus is the Lord, I'm his child. Jesus is perfect, I'm righteous because of him. God is kind, I am held. God is real, I am near. God is enough, I'm peaceful. Whatever it is, don't leave until you've locked at least on those things. <laughs> I'm so excited for you to walk in greater freedom this week from bitterness, from comparison, from anxiety gripping your heart, from addictive patterns, right? From hopelessness. This whole healing is gonna occur as you live from God's perspective of you and believe and rely on his promises. So good. You guys have been amazing. God, thank you for these people this time and mostly for you and your word.